I invite you to turn with me to uh, verses 13 through 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue on uh, studying Peter's letter. Uh, we, have, uh, mo- we have moved into a new section, which we'll talk about in a moment, but it's getting a bit more practical, uh, not that it, anything that's in the Bible is impractical, but the instructions here are more specific uh, calls for actions, and we'll see that throughout the rest of the letter. But here's what God's Word says to us this morning. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and write its truth upon our hearts today. Well, we've got some shocking words here. Some shocking words where Peter tells us to be subject to the emperor and honor the emperor. Shocking when you realize that Peter wrote this letter in the mid-60s during the reign of the Roman emperor Nero. Now Nero's reign receives mixed reviews from ancient historians, but is widely believed that he was the first widespread persecutor of Christians. Some ancient historians wrote that he had Christians thrown to the dogs, some crucified, uh, others he uh, used as human torches in his gardens, burned alive. And Peter himself is traditionally alleged to have been crucified upside down during Nero's reign. So when Peter writes... Be subject to the emperor. Honor the emperor. These are some shocking words. It's not a small, light thing that he's saying here. His words are instructive for us as we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to God and to his people. Again, no matter what our opinion is of the current president, past presidents, future presidents, We're called to honor our leaders. Now these verses are, as I said before, part of the large second section of 1 Peter. This section of 1 Peter is filled with practical instructions for how Christians are to live in the world. This section began a couple of verses back, actually, in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, and he's taking it back even to to the first verse where he addresses these people as exiles, elect exiles. So he's reminding them of this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, I spent this first chapter and a half talking to you about what it means to be a a follower of Christ, a sojourner and exile in this world. Now I'm going to tell you how to live. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then throughout the rest of this letter, he will continue to instruct us on how to live. 
in the world in reference to our various relationships. Here, the government, uh, he's going to talk about family relationships and relationships within the church. And in all of those, he's, he's going to also uh, emphasize how we should be witnesses to the world by the way we behave within these different systems, our families, our homes, our work, uh, in reference to the government and so forth. You look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So when God returns, when he comes in judgment or if he comes with blessing, these people will have seen good works. Uh, They have been won over to the way uh, of Christianity and they will glorify God when he returns. You can affect that, Peter's saying, by your conduct. So today, as we think about government, uh, what Peter says about Christians being citizens of an earthly country and how we live in relation to the government, we want to think about what this means, first of all, and then I want to give you three things that we should remember in reference to these uh, commands that he gives us. So back to these shocking words. Be subject to the emperor and honor the emperor. The word translated here, be subject or uh, submit, if you're reading the New American Standard or the NIV, uh, it means literally to place oneself under. Uh, It's a compound word. One word means to place and uh, another prefix that means under. So you're placing yourself under the authority of the government. You're submitting to their authority. That certainly would not apply now if the government would require you to sin. There are many scriptural examples of righteous disobedience to the civil government who is requiring sin. For example, Daniel, the king, set up an idol of himself and required everyone when the music sounded to bow down and worship the image. Daniel refused to do that. He broke the law of the land and he was it was right for him to do so because he was obeying God rather than man. Or you have the example of the midwives during the the, uh, bondage of Israel in Egypt and they were instructed by Pharaoh to murder Hebrew babies. And uh, they didn't. They did not commit murder. And they actually told a little lie about it to Pharaoh to, to, uh, to to, to get away with that. And... They, it was a choice between following God and obeying him or obeying uh, a wicked law. Paul, in Romans 13, takes the same idea that Peter is laying out here, and he gives us a bit more detail in how he talks about this. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority <clears throat> except from God, And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are, are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So it's the same ideas further developed there by Paul. So bottom line is we are to obey the government and, and not do it begrudgingly because uh, you know, we're also told not only to submit to the government, submit to our leaders, but as well honor. Uh, it says honor the emperor. Honor is the worth one ascribes to a person. As Paul explained, leaders are in their position through God's providence. And there's dignity to those offices. They are servants of God. They might be wicked people, but God has placed them there. Nero, and if you read anything about Nero, he's mostly described as a tyrant. I mean, the man had his own mother executed. That's how evil and wicked he was. In the great fire of Rome that occurred under his reign, under his reign uh, many people ascribed that to his act uh, because he wanted to clear some land for his palatial complex. Peter and Paul say, honor the emperor. Honor this man, Nero, that was in power. Honor the president, no matter who it is. The same is true for governors, mayors, anyone in a position of authority. And that's the basic command that Peter's giving us here. Peter gives us, uh, and Paul, throughout the scripture. And in reference to this, I believe there are some things that we need to remember as we think about submitting and, uh, to the government and honoring those who are in positions of authority. First of all, remember that as a, that as a Christian, you are a sojourner and an exile. So as I said before, he uses this term, exile, in verse 1 of chapter 1 as he addresses uh, the, the people who are receiving the letter. And then here in verse 11, chapter 2, he calls them sojourners and exiles, resident aliens, temporary residents. The picture we get in 1 Peter is that of people who are displaced from their home country for a time. But their hope is to return home one day. And that's certainly true of Christians. This world, is, as it is, is, is not our home. Uh, we belong to another kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. This, this land in which we live, this country, this nation, this kingdom, whatever we, wherever we live, uh, is temporary. The word strangers and exiles represents Christians as men and women who have no country of their own on this earth. They're simply temporary residents. Being a Christian trumps being an American. Yes, we are Americans and we need to abide by the laws and submit to the government, but we never, need never forget that our greatest allegiance is to the Lord and His kingdom, and that's the kingdom that's gonna, that matters most. That's the kingdom that will last forever. America will cease to exist one day, but God's kingdom will last forever. That, that gives you perspective as you live in this world today. It's something that Peter has stressed throughout this letter, and he will continue to stress it. Holding to the gospel will make us not revolutionaries grasping for earthly power and privilege. It was a revolutionary, somebody who, who, uh, who goes against the government because they want to seize the power. They want to grasp control. 
Maybe they want to get freedom and privilege for themselves and for the people they represent. See, Peter, Paul, throughout the Scriptures, we're not called to be that type of revolutionary, but to be humble and honorable citizens. When you trust in the Lord, you have a, a peace and a joy, even in the midst of the hardships that you might face, even in the face of despotic governments who might be oppressing you. You know that this world is not all that there is and, and that the Lord will one day make everything right. Justice will prevail and we can entrust ourselves to God's judgment. This is the example Christ gave us and to which Peter refers. If you look down in verse 23, it tells us there, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Many people are worked up about this election. Uh, many people throughout the United States are obviously uh, you know, even demonstrating about it and rioting about it and upset about it. And you know, We thought that when the election was over, we'd stop talking about it. And the Facebook feed would go back to pictures of kittens and dogs playing together, and recipes. Well, I still get the recipes. But, you know, nice, happy things. But no, we're still getting all this stream of vitriol and argument and fighting and division. And they're still talking about it in the news. So we're, we're worked up about this. Well, First Peter 2 is the tonic we need. Remember, we are sojourners and exiles here. We may even have to suffer for being Christians one day. And Peter will say a lot about that in the rest of this letter. But the suffering is only temporary. The Lord's kingdom is forever. Our true eternal citizenship is in heaven. We submit to the emperor, honor the emperor or president in our case, but we do not fear him. We do not fear the emperor. You'll notice in this passage it tells us to submit to honor the emperor and our governors, but it only tells us to fear God. That's the only one we are to fear. We are not to fear the government because God is in control of it all. God is over it all. God has actually put it in place, what we have. It might be for judgment upon us, but God's in control of it. So we only need to fear him. That gives some perspective to our lives and to our situation today. So remember that we are sojourners and exiles here. Secondly, remember, and, and I'm not really happy with this uh, bullet that I've given you, number two, but I think it's a clear and memorable. Remember that actions speak louder than words. I mean, we've all heard that before, but I think that's what Peter's saying here. If you go back and we read through it again, be subject to every human institution, uh, etc. Uh, and he tells us the reason that they're put there to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. And then verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, one question everybody asks all the time and, and wonders in their mind, what is God's will? Well, Peter tells us right here, this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. As Christians, we are to do good. 
We are to do good. Simple as that. Now, what is this ignorance which, to which Peter refers here? The ignorance of foolish people. Uh, if we go back in time to the era in which Peter lived and see the attitude from the secular world to Christians, it helps us understand what he's talking about. Tacitus was a Roman historian and senator, and he uh, is credited with having one of the earliest secular references to Christianity. And listen to what he writes in his history book. Now he's writing in this section, he's writing in reference to the fact that many people felt and believed that Nero himself started the great fire of Rome that destroyed the city and, and many people lost their lives. And Nero needed a scapegoat, so he picks Christians. Tacitus is explaining that to us. And he says, Consequently, to get rid of the report that he started the fires, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty, then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. You hear how Tacitus describes Christians in this. It's, it's shocking. They were hated for their abominations, he says. They are uh, mischievous. Their religion is a mischievous superstition. They're evil, hideous, shameful. And they were convicted because they had hatred against mankind. Now, that is just slanderous against Christians. They're, Christians are anything but how Tacitus describes them. And what Peter is, that, that's the context in which Peter writes these words. And he says, do good so that you will silence the ignorance of foolish people like Tacitus. Now, what Tacitus is writing is just ignorant because he does not know what Christians are like, obviously. But we'll tell you what Christians were like in that day because shortly after the, the great fire, uh, a plague overtook Rome. And Scott Sauls writes this, write, writing about this in his blog, he, he explains it very well. He says, uh, when the plague overtook Rome, people sent their sick family members out into the streets. As the streets filled with Rome's dying and contagious sick, Christians took to the streets, tending to the sick with love and welcoming them into their own homes for practical care, human touch, and a chance to die with dignity. In this valiant love initiative, some Christians contracted the plague themselves and died. Because King Jesus had loved them, and given his life for them, they were prepared to do the same for others. In addition to caring for Rome's sick and suffering citizens, 
Christians also radically cared for its women. In Rome, women were treated as objects to be used instead of image bearers to be loved. Roman widows were left to die, and fathers who wanted boys tossed their baby girls into the trash. In response, Christians elevated women to positions of leadership, valued the female voice, took the Roman widows into their own homes, rescued and adopted many of Rome's unwanted girls. In this society, plagued by sexual deviancy and abuse, Christians gave freely of their money, their time, their homes, and their lives. As a result, by the 3rd century A.D., the social fabric of Rome had been transformed and most of Rome had become Christian. He's writing about 160, so 100 years after Nero, after Peter's writing, most of Rome had become Christian because they did what Peter said. By doing good, they silenced, shut the mouths of those who were ignorant of their ways. They showed love. And what about us? We want to make a difference in our culture. Actions speak louder than words. We need to be like the, the, the Roman Christians and love others and care for people. Not just speak, yes, we should speak the good news of Christ, but we must live it out. You look at the news reports, you, you see what people are accusing Christians of today, of hatred, of bigotry, of, of uh, being haters, uh, things like that. Well, just by being Christian, by acting as Christ acted and loving people as he did, we could erase that opinion. We could shut those mouths by doing it. But we have been hypocritical. We have been hateful. And we need to stop doing that if we want to see a real change come in our land. May God give us the grace to do so, to do good and silence the ignorance out there of what true Christianity is. Now thirdly, and rather briefly, we could probably, I could probably preach a whole sermon on this third thing, but remember, true freedom is to be a servant of God. Verse 16, he says, live as people who are free. So you're living in this land. He's calling us to be subject to the government. Uh, he's calling us to honor the emperor and those who are in positions of authority. Uh, but remembering that we are strangers and aliens here. Uh, but we're free. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Freedom in Christ to worship him as Lord does not preclude submission to earthly authorities. Rather, having been set free in Christ to trust him body and soul, we are now free to trust that earthly authorities are only in place by his permission. When we sinfully rebel against earthly authorities, we unwittingly testify that our hope is in earthly things. Ironically enough, however, when we cling to Christ's sovereign lordship, and eternal riches, we are free to submit to civil authorities, demonstrating that our hearts are not tuned into the world and its passing riches. See, true freedom is not dictated by the government. You know, we want to have more freedom, we say. Uh, we want less government interference in our lives, we say. But they can't guarantee any kind of freedom for us, and the person who has... Uh, the most money, the most power, the most privilege might be the most enslaved. And the person who might be sitting in a prison, if they're a believer, is, is the most free. There's freedom in Christ. We're, we are completely free to, to live and to die for him. And no matter what the circumstances are, we're free. And we're, we sang it earlier 
um, in one of our hymns. I uh, can't remember which one, but it, was, uh, it talked about that we've already won the day. Um, I've got to find it now. Um, the, let's see which one it was. It was, yes, we gather together. The second, second verse. Beside us to guide us, our God with us joining, ordaining, maintaining his kingdom divine. So from the beginning, the fight, we were winning. Thou, Lord, wast at our side, all glory be thine. We, we've won. We've already won. We're free. Sin no longer has its grip on us. Death, neither. We're free. Even, they could kill us, but we're still free. Remember that. As we live in this world, as we wrestle with regime change and this president, that president, this government, that government, whatever the case might be, if we're in Christ, we're free. We're free. Free forever. And, and it's true for, for anyone on this globe. If they're in Christ, they are free. You're free. So remember, you're a stranger and alien. Actions speak louder than words. And you are free in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word that instructs us, that sharpens us, that builds up our faith because it tells us what is really real and what's true. Lord, grant us a deeper faith to believe it. And even more so, Lord, the will to live it out faithfully, to submit to you in all things, to find true freedom in you, not in expressing our own way, not in being ourselves the measure of all things, but find the true freedom that comes with being your servant. Lord, we pray as we uh, continue to worship you, uh, not just here, but as we go out in this world, Lord, may we know your presence and may we share that with others. Father, we pray as we fellowship together over the meal, we pray your blessing upon that time of fellowship and the food that we are about to eat. We thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for providing for us. We thank you for the food that we eat. We thank you for the physical, uh, physical provisions you make for us. And Lord, we especially thank you for Christ, for, for coming and dying for us, so that we might be truly free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.